So I've been attending Solano for two years now. My, and it's my first time that I've given the opportunity to actually teach. And it happens to be they're making me preach on a Sunday rather than something more simpler. But, um, but I do have experience teaching before. I did uh, youth ministry. at I was a youth director at my prior church. So it's not something I'm totally new at. But at the same time, I'm pretty much nervous every time I have to do this. Um, but here I am. So from the faith tradition that I'm from, we typically read the scripture before we get into the message. So um, if you need a Bible, John will hand you. Just raise your hand. You guys are free to keep this Bible if you need one, if you don't have one. Um, yeah. So the scripture passage is going to be from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 through 39, and also chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Um, you can find that on page 584 on the Bible, the, the handed out Bible. And that's Hebrew chapter 10, verse 30 to 39. Let me read that for us. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fear, fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you, are, you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And also uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Um, let me pray for us before we get started. Uh, Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, for your word, that we have the opportunity to hear your word um, spoken through your spirit together, that we have a hope and, and direction in this life when sometimes the world seems so crazy around us with unexpected shootings or unexpected natural disasters or incidents in life or relationships that just don't go the way that we would have ever imagined. Lord, we still see that you care, that your word is here for us to direct us and to encourage us and to strengthen us. So Lord, uh, during this time, I pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds to your word, that we will find the, um, the truth and the joy that only you can give. So Lord, again, I thank you. Uh, be with us in your son's name, I pray. Amen. So um, I've lived in the Bay Area for 20 years now, right? I came up here for college. I did not intend to stay here this long, right? I don't think most of the people who've moved here from afar tended to, like, thought you'd be here this long. So I was planning to go back to SoCal 
Um, but then some stuff happened in life, and I sort of got stuck here. If you guys want to hear more about that, I gave a testimony a couple months ago. You can find it on the website. You can just listen to that. Um, but then as I was stuck here, I started, like, appreciating things about the Bay. There's things I just started loving. Like, one thing are, like, East Bay summers. Like, the weather is, like, the best. I mean, if you didn't know, like, I think a couple weeks ago, it was, like, over 90 degrees everywhere else in, in America, but it was, like, 68 degrees here, right? <laughs> which is sort of, or 70, 68 degrees, which is sort of great. Other things I fell in love with was the, the culture that encouraged free thinking, right? If you go to a cafe up in the Bay Area and you overhear what people are talking about, it's, like, really interesting stuff. But if you go to a cafe in Southern California and hear what people are talking about, it's, like, yeah, it's just gossip. Like, it's, it's stuff like, I don't know what I'm hearing right now. Get me out of here. Anyway, <clears throat> but it's like all the neighborhoods, the shops, um, the tech boom that's happening is very interesting, right? Like, you realize that everything, I mean, the, the most, quote, the most secularly important things are happening in the Bay Area. And it's sort of like a privilege to be here and it's sort of fascinating. Yet at the same time, there's some things I hate about the Bay, right? The cold weather, I'm from SoCal, so the winters here are just way too cold for me. Um, if you, I hate this, if you're a tourist, I apologize, but there's so many tourists here, right? If you go to any neighborhood, there's just so many people all over the place. Um, the rent is obviously ridiculous, right? Housing prices. I hate the Giants. I don't know if there's anything. I'm a Dodger fan, so I'll just say that straight up. Um, uh, the tech bros are a little too much, too. I know there might be some here, but I apologize. And getting a little more serious, like, it's just a little, the thinking is far too liberal for me. There's a lot of economic disparity, a lot of homelessness. There's confused morality. The people are just coming and going. It's hard to find community here. And there's all this, like, good and bad and conflict that I experience internally. But then, on top of that, if I'm a Christian, it turns a lot harder, Right? Like, how do I understand, like, what is good, what is bad? How do I fit in here? How do I share the gospel with people? How do I live my life here? It's a real challenge for me, okay? I think for a lot of us, too. So there's a lot of temptations, struggles, and sacrifices that we have to make to be a Christian in the Bay Area. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance. A lot of us have left our homes to come here or left our family. We're disconnected from our original community. Um, many of us... Don't even expect to be, like, don't expect to be here in three or four years. We just don't know where we're going to be. Um, we live in one of the most non-Christian places in the United States of America, which is sort of crazy, too. And you, even if you meet a Christian coworker, you rarely might really like them, nor will you often, like, talk about deep spiritual things with them, right? It's, it's often a challenge, really, to understand and figure out how to grow as a Christian here. And because our jobs, again, are so demanding, they, sometimes our, our jobs or our career pursuits are so demanding, we have to take a step back from our faith. And sometimes we find ourselves lost, and we don't know where we're going anymore. And then there's others who, who grew up in the Bay, and this is their home, right? And you're annoyed by all these people who are coming and going, making the rent go up higher, who are pricing you out of your home or pricing your, your friends and neighbors out of their homes. Um, what's familiar to you is not even valuable to them, right? They want things to change, but you want things to stay the same. But what can you do? It's changing, and it's beyond your ability and your power. Um, 
And it's confusing to be here because when you start meeting non-Christians, you also realize that they're very normal, right? There's some people that you like more than you would like other Christians even. Um, You realize that they're good people, right? They care about social justice. They're hard workers. They deserve a good life, right? And when we think about the gospel and what, what Christ called, or what the Bible says, that we have to believe in Jesus in order to go to heaven or not to be condemned, it, it could grate you in a weird way, right? It makes you a little confused on what it is, what is it that I actually believe? Um, so as we struggle with these things, um, we also find that it's difficult for people that we've known growing up, even from our former churches that we've grown up in, that a lot of people st- like stop believing in God, right, or stop going out to church. And that, for me, I was like I said, I was in youth ministry before. That happens to so many of my kids, and it like breaks my heart. And I don't know what to do about that sometimes. But the fault that I have is that I sometimes don't know what to do so much that I won't like even engage them or call them because it seems like such awkward weird conversation to have, and it's a scary conversation for me to have sometimes. And, yeah, sometimes we find ourselves in that, in that situation. And also when we look at the world, like just leave the Bay Area for a little bit, look outside, it's crazy out there. We look at our political climate, I don't think anyone enjoys how it's going right now. We look at the gun violence that's going around, which is sort of insane, right? It's happened, I think, the past couple of weeks we had three shootings, which is like, why does this happen, Right? And some of us might think we know the answer, but then even if we know the answer, nothing's happening, right? And how frustrating is that? Um, Climate change issues, immigration issues, these things keep coming up and do not go away, right? And the church has so many varied views on what we ought to be doing, and we internally are friends. Everyone has different ideas, but nothing is getting done, right? Um, This reminds me of a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He is a... Um, German theologian and pastor who was around during Nazi Germany, he wrote a letter to his closest friends and struggling about what is it going to be like after Hitler's thrown out of power, after we have our country back, what are we going to do, right? And he, um, he, he writes this in the letter. He says, we have been silent witnesses of evil deeds. We have been drenched by many storms. We have learned the arts of equivocation, meaning like you're concealing truths and pretense, which means making something false appear true. Experience has made us suspicious of others and kept us from being truthful and open. Intolerable conflicts have worn us down and made us cynical, always still of any use, right? And us, even as Christians and as a church, I ask that question for myself, like, am I of any use? Look at all the things that we've had to struggle through and endure through, how much we've compromised at times with our faith. Or even for me, like not reaching out to people or when I'm in the workplace, when I used to not work at a church at least, at the workplace, how often do I evangelize? And there's like a disconnect between who I am and who I claim to be and actually how I live, right? So the question is, how do we live, not just surviving here, but to live confidently and boldly in Christ, right? yet actively being in the world but not of the world, despite all that's going inside of us and outside of us. So we get an answer of that in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews was written most likely to Jewish Christians who had an understanding of the Old Testament and Jewish traditions. But as Christians, they had to obviously leave Judaism and sometimes had to break their family bonds. They had to 
um, experienced persecution and exclusion from their culture because of the gospel. So, so far in <clears throat> Hebrews, the writer, we actually don't know who the writer, not sure who the writer is, but he makes two points. Like the first one is, is that what God ha- is about what God has said to us in the Old Testament about the promises that he's made. And the second is that what God has done for us, right? And what God has done for us ultimately is that he sent his only son to die for us on the cross and to redeem us, right? So at this point in chapter 10, um, he talks about how as Christians, we need to struggle through our faith right? It might not be totally clear exactly what we need to be doing step by step, but, but it's so, okay, let me backtrack. It might not be totally clear, but we know that we have to cling to Christ. There's temptation for us sometimes to go back to, uh, for the Jews, the, the Jews, Christian Jews back then, to go back to the faith um, to that, that they used to know, right, to back to Judaism. And for us, that's sometimes us going back to superficial Christianity, right, or cultural Christianity that we sort of came out of that sometimes we're tempted to go back to. And for others, another problem that they had possibly had was that they were lacking joy in being a Christian, right? Who's experienced that, right? It's so common for us to lack joy, especially even in our day and age, because, again, there's so many things attacking us and so many challenges that we're going through that we lack the joy that we know we ought to have as Christians, but often don't experience. Okay. So, but the writer of Hebrews, he again ends this section with an encouragement to endure and reminders of what we have to believe as Christians. Okay? So I'm going to be, the passage goes over four things. First one is encountering the living God. Second, the evidence of living faith. Third, enduring faith. And the fourth is seeing the returning Christ. So first, um, encountering the living God. So Hebrews chapter, 30 verse, chapter 10 verse 30 reads, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay. Who likes this statement, right? Not really, right? Especially in our culture. I mean, this makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Like, uh, if I were God's PR representative, this is not the way, especially in the Bay Area, where you, how you will present God. Um, but according to the Bible, or how God reveals himself, is that he does reveal himself in a way that he is a God of justice, he is a God of judgment. And in the previous passages to this, he's actually talking to Christians and saying, you have to be faithful in what you believe or because you know yourselves that God is a just God, right? You know yourself that God is fearful when he, when he wants to be and when he needs to be, right? So, so I mean... We might have had this idea for ourselves a little growing up in the church, right? If you do this, this, or that, then your life will be successful. If there's been stuff going around with, um, oh yeah, if the purity culture, if you do what you're supposed to do, stay holy and pure in your relationships, you'll get the perfect wife and you have a great sex life, right? But we, there's so much backlash against this now. We realize in a sense that's not true, so I'm going to move on from this legalistic idea. But what do we often move on to? We move on to the sort of simplistic idea that God is God loves me as I am, and therefore I can live, 
I'm free to live the way that I want to live, and God will still love me and accept me regardless, right? So in a way, we take away the, the standards that God has for us, and we just simply live the way we want and hope that God, or almost expect that God will forgive us or God would love us regardless. But if you're a Christian, right, if you've experienced the grace of God, we know that God is rightly to be feared. We know that it's because of our sinfulness and our brokenness that God has come down to sacrifice himself for us and give himself for us. Um, There's another quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says that whatever was costly to God um, cannot be cheap to us. I'm paraphrasing. And when we see the, the grace that was paid for us, what did it cost God? Right? It cost him his own son. Right? So to understand that there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost that we have to calculate in following God, that it's not a simple, um, God loves me, so I, just do, I can do what I want. Um, the living God is meant to be feared. Uh, I went ziplining recently, and we, it was like, who, who went? Anyways, some of us went. We went up these redwood trees, and they're about 100 feet tall, right? Do you guys know what 100 feet tall is? I, I, can't, I, I didn't really know until I was there, right? And the idea, again, we're going up some trees, and we're going to be ziplining back and forth. It sounds fine, right? It's really fun, actually. But when you go up there, and there's, like, there's just a harness. There's no, like, guide, guardrails or anything. And when you look over the edge and you look down, even though there's a harness, it's scary, right? <laughs> it's still scary. And you, I wonder, like, is the harness going to hold me? Is, like, is this platform strong enough? But, and that's the whole idea about God as well, is that we might have a simplistic idea of who God is, but if we encounter the true and living God, he's not going to be who we think he is. Right? He's going to be far greater. And that's going to include like, this fearfulness of God to some extent. But it's also going to include like he's far more loving, far more caring than we can imagine. And what's interesting, what's crazy, is that the reason why we're condemned before God is because we don't love enough. Right? It's not that we love to, we're bad people, but it's that because God is so loving and so caring, that if we don't love him the way he deserves, there's something incompatible, right? If we don't love each other the way that we should love each other, that just doesn't work for God, okay? And from there, we have to recognize that God is a God of justice and that to fall into his hands is a fearful thing. And what's great, though, is that the writer of Hebrews just doesn't leave the audience there or his people there. He moves on and talks about um, there's a but, right? And buts are great in the Bible, especially when it comes after negative things. There's always this positive. And that's um, the evidence of faith. Second one. Okay. So, but, the writer of Hebrews lets his people know that you guys, even though this is crazy, even though God can be fearful at times, you have real faith. You have genuine faith. And the way he proves that is in uh, verse 32. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. 
So what the writer here is saying is that faith proven through hard struggle and sacrifice is a real believing that Christ is better than things of this world. He's talking about how that faith is just not like an idea that you have in your head. It's just not like rigid theology, but it's actual faith that comes out into real life that actually costs something that is actually valuable, that actually has power, is what comes out in life, right? It's life faith. Um, The core element of Hebrews again and again and again is that Christ is better, Right? Christ is better than all the mediators and the priests, better than all the sacrifices, better than all the Jewish traditions. Right? And that Jesus isn't just an ideology or an interesting idea or something that you are just grown up with, but it's something that like, his life resulted in a physical, material, and social suffering right? that we participate in, right? that we partake in. And that's how we are called to have, and re- that's what we're called to remember about our faith, right? Our experience of, of having suffered and having been lost property or material blessings or goods in our own lives. And the question that we have to ask in America is, is that something that we've experienced, right? How much does it cost us to be a Christian? And it's obvious that there are some ways, inconveniences here and there. But it's rare that we find instances where, like these Hebrews, that they've sacrificed to the extent that they did, right? that we've sacrificed to the extent that they did. Um, and it turns even more challenging, I think, when we look back to even our own Christian upbringing. Right? A lot of us have had negative church experiences, Right? And it's sort of popular to have, I don't, it sounds a little weird, but it's popular to have negative, like church baggage, right? There's um, that hashtag, what was it, ex evangelical, right? There's the idea about, like, was it 70 some percent of white evangelicals support Donald Trump? That throws a lot of people off in the Bay Area. Um, again, I, I mentioned the purity movement for the collapse of that, and if you were involved in that, and the pain and suffering that you went through yourself. Is, is difficult and is challenging. And some people see Christianity as bigoted, as anti-intellectual. It's a white-oriented patriarchy. We wonder if we're affiliated with that, is our whole upbringing, um, is it flawed and broken as well? Right? How do we make sense of that and how do we balance that out? And if Christianity is so misunderstood by the world around us, and if even like pastors or leader, church leaders have difficulty defending it? Like, how are we supposed to defend that? Like, what am I supposed to do if, if other leaders I respect in the past either fall away or don't believe anymore or are ineffective in defending Christianity? So this puts pressure on everyone, right? This push, put pressure on all of us, especially living in our culture in a post-Christian society. Um, and when there's all these new ideas, strong thoughts, how are we supposed to depend defend all these things. And again, what the writer of Hebrews says, he goes back to something simple. He says, remember like what you gave. Remember what you sacrificed. Remember what the faith that you had. He's not talking about just remember the time when you believed there was a God. Remember when you realized there was just the right way to live. Not remember when you had that deep spiritual experience. He's saying, go deep. Remember when your faith actually played out in your life. Right, um, it, our faith has to be a living faith. 
It has to be real. It has to have power. It has to mean something outside of ourselves. Okay? And so the call is to remember those. There's going to be those moments. For me, there's like a few moments where I cling on to and I hold on to. I remember like mission trips that I went on. I think those why, that's why mission trips tend to be so popular. Like there's these moments that you can hold on to and cling to. And the whole idea is remember when you really saw the kingdom of God at Jesus as better than the things of this world, right? Cling to Jesus. Remember when he was better. Remember those moments and, re- and cling on to that faith that you have. Okay, um, so as we, uh, one yeah, so with that again, as we find, um, as we find that we need to have the evidence of our faith, faith, we find that we truly have that again in our own experience, right? We truly have that in Christ. And again in here, um, the third part are, is our enduring faith. Okay? And verse 36 reads, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We're constantly going to be bombarded. Our faith is going to be bombarded in this life, in this, in this world, right? As we live life in the States and the Bay Area. As we get older, as our situations change, we're always going to face different types of challenges, different types of um, struggles. And to remain in the way that, in our simple understanding of the gospel, we'll have to always adjust and to grow in our, in our sense of what Christ has done for us. Our confidence in the greater, better reward will have to, to increase, and that we have to understand that the faith that we have in Christ isn't a binding one, and it's a remaining one. Um, the beauty of Christ, we have to recognize, is better than the things that the world has to offer, right? The world offers a system, the U.S. offers a system of meritocracy, means you have to earn what you get. What does the gospel offer? offers grace to us, right? There's consumerism in this world. You've got to earn, make money, then you gain power and authority. But in Christ, in the gospel, our needs are fully met. The world encourages us to have life experiences, right? Instagram it. Like, let, that, let everyone know how you're living. You're living your best life now. But the gospel to us is that we have inherent meaning in God. We have our full experience in him, that we encounter true life in Christ, right? Sometimes we can go into the, this idea of right living. Like, I have to, if I live my life the right way, everything's going to work out. But God says God offers us rest and adoration in him, right? So in these things that we are called not to shrink back, right? Don't shrink back from your faith because what Christ offers us is just so much better, what we have in him is just so much better than anything that this world has to offer. Okay. Um, and the way that we see this is in the same verses again. right? When we look at that verse, sometimes we might feel that pressure. Like, I shrink back all the time. right? That's me. I shrink, I'm scared all the time. But even being up here and giving this message is scary for me. Right? But moreover, to go out there go out into the world, share the gospel with people, and be, be bold. I, I'm, a, I'm afraid of that, right? There's times, when I, there's times when I wasn't too afraid of it, but there will be times now when I am. 
Yeah. But what Christ, again, who he is, is he's the one who fulfills all these things, okay? Um, again, we see that he is the one who is coming and he won't delay, right? We have that hope that he is coming back. He's going to come when it's the right time, and we can wait for him patiently, right? He's the one who does not shrink back. Even being exposed to all the, the pain and the suffering and the ridicule, he didn't shrink back from that, right? And he's also the one who has the full pleasure of God, okay? And that's sort of amazing, right? We talked about before how God is, this, God is so big, has all these standards that we're supposed to live by. We're supposed to love others the way that he calls us to love them. But Jesus is the one who is able to <clears throat> experience that full pleasure because he did everything that God called him to do, right? So with us, we have faith in what Christ has done for us, right? We have faith in the supremacy of Christ, and therefore, we recognize that Christ is genuinely better than everything the world has to offer. Therefore, our souls are preserved, okay? So, with that, um, Hebrews continues on, and it goes through Hebrews 11, which is the Hall of Faith, lists all the Old Testament characters, not all of them, a bunch of them who ex exemplified faith and lived well. And he brings us up into that same group, saying, you guys, are, we're all included in there together. It's just not you and God or you and this church right now, but it's a whole history coming together in this faith in Christ. Okay? And he goes on into verse chapter 12, verse, chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What, what's so amazing about Christians is that we're living, breathing examples of God's love for us, Right? Like, we're living, breathing examples of the gospel in action, right, throughout the course of history. <clears throat> we embody the love of God. We are the glory of God, which is crazy, right? We live our lives in faith in what Christ has done for us and how it changed our personal lives and how we love others, how we engage the world around us, how we work at our workplaces. Um, all these things are changed by the gospel and by the faith that we have in Christ. Um, and to jump into some application, it's, it's actually very difficult for us, for me, to engage God. I think it took um, the sermon, having to give the sermon. It, it, I had to go through this wrestling period where I realized I need to come face to face with God with a lot of things, right? And I am a procrastinator. And I've read, like, as I was, I was procrastinating on this too, but as I was procrastinating, I read up stuff on procrastinating on the on New York Times. I don't know how many people do that, but I do that. And one thing is, they talked about is, is that um, procrastination is an emotional fear, right? It's an emotional anxiety that comes in, that you feel that, um, oh, there's just so much stuff that I need to do, and then how do, I don't feel like I'm capable of dealing with it, and I'm just going to push it off, and when I feel better, I'll deal with it. And I think as Christians, we tend to have this procrastination mentality with God, 
right? Oh, let me get everything ready first. Oh, I got these important other things I need for. Let me figure this out. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get good with you. But the problem is, like, we're just going to keep pushing and pushing back and pushing back. The only way in this article I talked about is you've just got to realize, like, the long term of it, it's, it's just better to deal with this now, right? And I think that's the same case for us as Christians. There's things we just got to deal with right now. Right? We've got to be open and honest before God right now. Deal with what, what we're trying to hold on to, what God is asking for, but we don't want to give up. Right? Those things, let's, let's go before God, knowing again that the faith that we have in who he is, what he's done for us, that he does, even though he may um, draw out things that we don't like, that he deeply does love us, and he wants to transform us to become more like him. Right? He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he will do that work in us. Okay. Um, other things that we've got to, we can apply is that we have to remember, again, the promises that we have in Christ. Okay. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, going back to that quote, he ends that question, like, um, are we of any use? He ends it with, only the one for whom the final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, his virtue, who is ready to sacrifice all these when in faith and sole allegiance to God he is called to obedient and responsible action. The responsible person whose life will be nothing but an answer to God's question and call. Okay. It's remembering again how important and valuable it is for us to obey Christ. Right? Not just obeying the rules and the laws, but obeying him and knowing him and seeking him and desiring him. If we look at this world that we realize Things got to change. We sometimes question, what is the church doing? What is God doing? But for, in order for us to actually bring good upon this world, it's going to happen in God's way. It's not going to happen in the way that we think it should happen or we think it's going to happen. It'll only happen through tr- being deeply in love with him, aligned to him, and following him and obeying how he calls us in the spirit. Okay. Um, last one. We have to be deeply engaged in Christ. There's a quote by J.I. Packer who says, um, superficiality is a great weakness of the evangelical world today, right? We've got to be willing to go deep and deeper and deeper in our faith, in our relationships within the church and with other people. We have to be deeper in how we understand the problems of this world, right? And understand the, the spiritual problem of sin, um, and to know that that's often the problem, not just more money, not more programs, not more education. The problem that we actually have is sin. And to know that Christ is the one who dealt that deeply and widely is what we have to appreciate and worship as, as Christians. So an encouragement for us, finally, is that remember for us who have this deep experience of Christ, who believe in what he's done for us, for us not to shrink back. But with Christ, we approach the throne of grace with confidence, and we eagerly await him um, as our great reward. Okay. So um, let me pray for us. Um, actually, before I pray, take some time to pray on your own and to ask yourself these questions, like, what experience of faith have I had in the past that, that I sense the trueness and the goodness of God, right? If we find in our own hearts that we might not have these deep experiences, it's, it's to ask the question, like, 
how do I live my life? What do I need to be doing now so I can experience um, this, this faithfulness? It might not mean sacrificing everything immediately, but there are going to be some areas of our lives that Christ is calling for and demanding. Um, are we willing to give that up? Do we have faith in what Christ has done for us? And finally, um, to ask the question, where is God calling me to love and to serve right now? Um, what areas of the church have needs? Who have, who's broken and, and hurting that has needs? How do I show compassion and love to those who are going through challenges and difficulties? So as, um, so I'll give you some time. Pray about these things. Think about these things. And then I'll close with us. Close us with a word of prayer. Um, Lord, Heavenly Father, um, it's, it's hard sometimes to be uh, faithful here. Um, we know our weaknesses. We have remembered distinct times when we shrink back from our faith. But Lord, I pray that um, we would remember again that you are faithful to us. Lord, help us to remember the examples of evidences of faith that you've blessed us with in our own lives. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we would be able to be confident and, and bold, not just because of what we've done in the past, but, Lord, because of who you are, what you've done for us, and the life and the identity that we have in Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen Solano. Um, help us to be a deeply loved and a deeply moving church. And I pray, O oh Lord, that uh, we would recognize the joy and the, and the life that we have in you. So again, thank you, and in your son's name I pray, amen.